What's going on, guys? Welcome into episode 27 of the Johnny Rombos podcast. Today we have Tim Beret, the legend Clemson sports information director of 40 years, who recently retired, come up, comes on the podcast, talks about all kinds of interesting things. The quarterback battle, his time at Clemson, some of his favorite memories, the Dabo Sweeney, his crazy stats that he drops on Twitter. He drops some real football information, so if you're a football guy preparing for football season, you should definitely check it out. Also, if you're a football lady preparing for football season, give it a listen. We'd also like to give a huge shout-out to Monster Subs on Coffee Street, downtown Greenville. You should definitely go to Monster Subs, check them out. They're the best subs in Greenville. They're thick, juicy, beautiful. Beautiful. They're foodies paradise. Okay, so check them out. Also, be sure to rep Pine Point Clothing and Coastal Current Clothing. Check both their website out, Coastal Current Clothing and Pine Point Clothing. Enjoy the episode. This is episode 27. Make sure to like and subscribe in the iTunes store after you listen to the episode. Enjoy. What's going on, guys? Today we've got a big-time guest. We've got Tim Beret from Clemson University, the greatest sports information director probably in the history of college sports. Tim, what's going on, man? Well, thank you for that compliment. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't even say I'm the best in the history of Clemson. Bob Bradley's uh, name is up on that uh, ring of honor at uh, Memorial Stadium, and very deservedly so. I've uh, owed my whole career to Mr. Bradley and Roger Valdisari at Notre Dame. Oh, that's awesome, man! I really that's that's pretty sweet. I um, I guess your name will be up there pretty soon as well, though. Like, well, I, some, I don't, I, I don't know about that. I, 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 uh, it would be a goal to get in the Clemson Hall of Fame one day. That would be, uh, that would be great. But uh, I've been for, very fortunate and had a great career. Absolutely, and you went to college at Notre Dame. I did. For, yeah, so I guess the question is, did you enjoy you enjoyed your time obviously at Notre Dame, but when Notre Dame and Clemson play, who are you batting for? <laughs> well, you know, it's been a long time since I uh since I went to Notre Dame. It was uh, actually a lot tougher when I first uh, came to Clemson uh in 1978. Uh the two schools played in 77 and 79, and I actually traveled to Clemson with Notre Dame in 1977 and then traveled with Clemson to Notre Dame in 1979. But uh, in 1979, when Clemson went to Notre Dame, I I, uh, I got to make the trip, but uh, Bob Bradley was the football SID, and I worked uh, men's basketball and uh, was in charge of the Olympic sports. So I didn't work all that much with, with, with football. Um, and, and, I, and Notre Dame still had a lot of the players I was very familiar with. I... Rusty List was the quarterback for Notre Dame in that game against Clemson. I used to split a cheese pizza with him and Morrissey Hall when uh, when we were both uh, students. So it's a lot harder then. This oh, recent game in in 2015, I really don't know any of the players. I don't know Brian Kelly. Uh, and if you work for Dabo Sweeney, uh, you know there's no way you could root against him. So as long as Dabo's the head coach, I'll be I'll be uh, rooting for the Tigers for sure. I love that because it's so hard to root against Dabo. I think even Clemson's biggest haters, you know, they're kind of like Dabo's such an easy guy to root for. 
Like you can, you know, you can hate our football program and the university or whatever, sports-wise. But Hayton, you just Dabo is such an easily likable guy, which to me is crazy. I mean, he's kind of become the face of Clemson football program, and he's such like a likable guy. You know, like no one really dislikes Dabo, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's that way with the national. Uh, uh, you know, you talk about um, Notre Dame fans. Or I, you know, when I retired, he uh, was nice enough to present me with a golf course, golf cart. I live on a golf course, and and I'm going to get to play a lot more golf now. And so he uh, he got me a golf cart, and he put a, a Clemson logo and a Notre Dame logo on it. And um, uh, a lot of Notre Dame people saw that on Twitter. and uh, It was retweeted to all of my 1977 classmates at uh, Notre Dame. So uh, um, I kiddingly say that uh, Dabo is the second favorite coach among Notre Dame fans. And if Notre Dame doesn't make, beat Michigan, he may become the favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious. Um, what's what? One of my favorite things is the stats you do on Twitter, or you tweet the stats out, the Clemson stats that makes Clemson fans go crazy because they're so accurate and they're so in depth. But I was wondering if you had a photographic memory because I feel like I've seen you do interviews before, and it's like you can recall everything from back in time. And I, I, I just think that's such an interesting facet of life, you being able to remember all these things from back in the day. Well, thanks. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the reasons that uh, I do remember a lot of stuff is uh, uh, this. I ju- we just uh, published the Clemson uh, football guide, and that was the 40th football guide that I have done. And so over the years, if you uh, – you know, if you're proofing that guide or, or write it, as I have done, um, you know, especially from the record standpoint, you, you tend to remember them because you're going over them again and again. And so uh, I, I uh, was able to remember uh, a lot of things because of that process. Um, but I I, I, uh, I like to think I have a uh, pretty good mind for numbers and that uh, I come by it naturally. My father... Uh, who also went to Notre Dame. He was an uh, engineer, got his, uh, went to undergrad at Notre Dame and got his master's from uh, Harvard. And uh, I'm proud to say that he was one of the project engineers that designed the fuel cells for the Apollo space missions in the 1960s, including uh, Apollo 11 that landed on the moon. So I, I like to believe I inherited uh, a good mind for uh, numbers from him. That's uh, yeah, that's really awesome. So I didn't know your dad went to Harvard. That's crazy. <laughs> for for his masters, yeah, he went to Notre Dame. For, for masters. Well, I, I have a question about your photographic memory. Do you? You know, I know probably nobody does, but do you remember being born? Is your memory that good? Uh, no, <laughs> I do not remember that. <laughs> the first thing I can remember is uh, really being with my grandfather, and uh, um, it would have been 1958. Uh, so I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't have a photographic memory, but part of the deal being successful as a sports information director is knowing where to find things. Um, and so it's not that you're going to, you know, if you look in the Clemson football guide and on page, let's just say, uh, 200, uh, the, uh, scores of the 1906 season. Well, I don't remember all the scores of the 1906 season but i know where to find it and in in the press guide in a in a in a swift manner and and um that's really the the secret to success is is having a feel for where everything is and uh and, and using your resources and where those resources are okay 
Yeah, the resources. I guess that is pretty cool that you can you have access to all that kind of stuff, and like you become such a numbers guy. And what's pretty crazy is like on Twitter, I feel like you have a really really good following. Like Clemson fans seriously like are enamored when you tweet out a stat. I mean, I know I am when I see some you know crazy stat. But uh, I was wondering, what's the favorite? What's your favorite random stat you've ever compiled? Like what's what's the one thing like a stat you tweeted out with numbers or even just Clemson players that you tweeted out? And you're like, man, that's it. Like that's the one. Like that's it. That's the craziest stat I've ever compiled. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say a uh, stat. I'm going to say I think the, the uh, fact that I got the most uh, run on uh, uh, Twitter and reaction uh, was uh, when Sean Watson was drafted in uh, the spring of 2017. And um, I, I knew, obviously, the story of Deshaun um uh growing up in a habitat for humanity house that was uh financed and furnished by uh Warwick Dunn. And so I thought to myself, you know, I thought War- I think Warwick Dunn was a first round draft pick. I wonder when he was drafted. Well son of a gun I looked it up and Warwick Dunn was was the number twelve pick of the draft uh his year, which is the exact same number that uh Deshaun was drafted. So I I tweeted that out, and uh, it got an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable run. Yeah, I mean that's a really interesting fact. I mean, like the first off, Deshaun's a great guy, and the whole habitat humanity thing with Warren Dunn being that guy is just to me it's wild. Like Deshaun's story, like it's just so interesting to me that he had a habitat for humanity home, and Warren Dunn was the one that built it. And for Deshaun to grow up and you know be a first round pick, the same pick as Warren Dunn, like what a story, right? Yeah, it really. Uh... It really is, and he's, uh, you know, and I always thought, uh, you know, uh, work done played from uh, 93 to 96, obviously followed his uh, his career, and always thought a lot of him and read all the stories about him, uh, helping families with their homes, and, uh, and you know, I I think obviously, um, you know, Deshaun it's, knows the story and has kind of followed that also and wants to, uh, wants to give back, so it's kind of neat the way that's all worked out. Yeah, I think Deshaun's hungry. I think he's going to have a good year again this year. I mean, he's proved a rebound from an ACL before. And, you know, a lot of people try to compare him to Robert Griffin, which is frustrating a little bit to me because I think that he's a thrower before he's a runner. I think he's a passer before he's a runner. And I think Robert Griffin was a little different. I think they just like to make those comparisons because they were both first-round picks. But I think their careers are going to be completely different. Yeah, Deshaun really has a uh, an ability to hit the deep ball, and I think that's uh, certainly a key uh, the way – uh, you know that he can be a threat as 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 a runner. When more and more teams in the NFL, you see a run of the read option, and uh, that was certainly a key to his success here and and last year in his limited seven games in uh, in Houston. But but you got to be able to hit that deep ball and take advantage of when you have one on one coverage if they're going to move the safety up to to help out with the running game. So um, yeah, I, I really think he can uh, you know pick it up where he left off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess another question I've got for you. This was kind of fun. Uh, what's the most What's the most enjoyable event you've ever covered in your time at Clemson? I guess if you had to pick one, the most enjoyable thing in your 40 years at Clemson, what's the most enjoyable event you ever covered? Well, I'm going to be boring and, and give you an answer that probably is very predictable. But uh, you know, to be here as long as I was and, and to experience the national championship in 1981. To then come back and uh, and 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 experience the 2016 
entire season, but in particular that game uh, and the way we won the game with just one second left on a on a clutch uh, touchdown pass from from Watson to uh, Hunter Renfro, who's uh, just a great story in, in itself, and one of my all, all, all time favorite student athletes uh, here. He's always been so great and humble with the uh, with the media that uh, that uh, that that probably does rate number one. That was a just an unbelievable game. I mean, this winning a national championship, first off, is amazing. But the way the Clemson won it is just like one of those things you almost dream of. Like I know me as a child, growing up a Clemson fan, like winning a national championship in the final second, like that's that's a, that's what you dream of, and it, it happened. So Did you get to it. go to the game? I went to Tampa, but I didn't get tickets. My oh. dad, we yeah, we get season tickets, and he thought the prices were going to drop, and then they raised higher than they've ever been. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we weren't. Me and my brother, who, who goes to Clemson as well, we weren't too happy. But you know what? Uh, we went down to Tampa and had a good old time. It was really yeah, fun. that's good. That's an enjoyable experience. Uh, I also was wondering. I guess you know you were there during Danny Ford's time. So, what's the parallel to Dabo and Danny Ford? What, like, could you draw me some comparisons or maybe some differences in like their times at Clemson? Because I mean, those are the two best coaches probably in Clemson's recent years. Yeah, you know that is a, that is a good uh, a good question. There are some uh, some comparisons uh, and, and and some they're vastly uh, different. Um, obviously, both Alabama guys who um, you know got a lot of their philosophies of football from legendary um, Alabama uh, coaches. Dabo, of course, with Gene Stallings and and Coach Ford with uh, with Bear Bryant. Uh, I, I get a little bit off tangent. One of my favorite stories about Coach Ford is uh, in 1969 was the 100-year anniversary of college football. And a lot of the schools, including Alabama, uh, wore a number 100 sticker on their uh, helmets. And in 1969, Bear Bryant got his 100th career victory in Death Valley against Clemson. Coach Ford was the captain of that 1969 Alabama team. And after the game, he peeled the sticker off of his helmet, stuck it to the game ball, and presented that game ball in Clemson Memorial Stadium to uh, to Bear Bryant in, in honor of his 100th uh, victory. That's a little, little known uh, story about uh, Coach Ford in Alabama and Alabama uh, and the ties there. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting. But but um you know they both they both do have their uh their their basic uh philosophies of football from from Alabama and of course the game has changed so coach Sweeney uh, is a, little, a lot more wide open in his approach offensively than coach Ford was of course of course a lot of the coaches were like coach Ford was in in those uh, in those days you know in in the mid 80s 1985 for instance i think there were 80 teams that average at least 200 yards a game rushing the ball. Today, there's 200. There's 80 teams that average 200 yards a game passing the ball. So the game has really changed an awful lot uh, over the years. But both were very popular with the fan base. Both uh, knew the importance of uh, dealing with the media as far as uh, our uh, situation is concerned. And when I did sports information, um, they both. Uh, you know, just uh, did it outstanding, and both had great work ethics, and uh, were able to 
get their players to uh, to really buy into their stuff. I um I saw an article or a news channel I think it was on Fox News the other day about Danny Ford. He's uh one of the few owners of a hemp farm in South Carolina. Yeah, I've seen that too. I don't know the details of it. I do. I will tell you though that I know Channel Four is working on a story about that. It's supposed to air this coming uh, Thursday, which would be what the twenty sixth of July. Not sure when you're running this podcast, but anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know any other details about it, but if you think that's the case. It should be pretty interesting. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, I've, I've never seen a hemp farm in general, but especially in South Carolina, you know, I yeah. thought that was pretty crazy. I'm friends with a grandson, so I probably should talk to him about it too, but I know he yeah. helped out there on that farm, which is pretty cool. Right. Another thing I want to talk to you about is uh, the QB system at Clemson this year, and I, I think Clemson's probably as talented, if not more talented, than they've ever been this season. And the quarterback position is such an important position. You know, Kelly Bryant last season obviously led the team to a playoff. But because of his performance in, in the game against Alabama in the semifinal, some fans were calling, like, oh, this and that. And Trevor Lawrence coming in, the wonder kid. It's just a really tough situation all around right now. You know, all the pressure was on Kelly after Deshaun left to kind of be the guy, which, in my opinion, he was the guy. He played wonderful last year. And right. is, is Clemson going to run a two-quarterback system this year? You know, um, uh, Dabo has never run. He's, he's played two quarterbacks over the course of the year. Just have to go back to 2014 to, to see that with Cole Stout and, and, and Deshaun. And obviously there were injured injuries involved in that, uh, in that rotation, although early in the season, you know, there was a rotation, so to speak. Um, but you know, I, I don't, I don't see that. Uh, I, I don't see it being a two quarterback. I think, I think there'll be a winner that'll be determined through the end of August practice. And uh, and uh, I, I do know that um, coach has said that Ty goes to the most experienced player. So uh, Trevor will have to uh, to act to really beat him out to uh, to take over that job. Um, you know, I, I do think Kelly gets a little bit of a bad rap from that Alabama game. Um, I think, uh, Alabama had, uh, the revenge factor, uh, and they, you know, they played great and they deserved to win. We're, you know, Kelly Bryant's just one game removed from being the most valuable player, uh, leading Clemson to a 38 to three victory over a Miami team that was seventh in the nation in total defense and led the world in forcing turnovers. And at one point in that game, he completed 15 consecutive passes, finished 23 of 29 and was the game's most valuable player. So, um, you know, you always remember what happened last and and the most recent outcome obviously was that Alabama game. So, but, uh, you know, that the coaches will take a look at the full preseason practice and, uh, They'll have a they'll have a starter for Furman. Well, what kind of frustrates me a little bit is the the flack that Kelly Bryant catches sometimes. Is that game had two interceptions not been tipped and they were basically tip picks, and that those both led to points. Like had that not happened, Kelly Bryant was leading a drive down the field to maybe take the lead against Alabama, and then a tip pick kind of changes the entire game. The next drive or maybe a drive later, another tip pick, and the whole game looks different. You know, like from an outside, like the whole the entire game, you just read the stats. It's like, oh man, Clemson played terrible, but we had a chance to take the lead in the third quarter of that game, which to me is still pretty wild. Yeah, I mean that was a defensive struggle. Both teams really played very well. Uh, you know, uh, it was uh, 
the combined total offensive yardage in that game was the fewest in the Sugar Bowl since uh, since 1969 Sugar Bowl, a game in which uh, Arkansas played Mississippi, and our former athletic director Terry Don Phillips actually played in that game for uh, for the University of Arkansas. So uh, it you know there they were, they were two really good defenses going at it at that game, and the turnovers did make a big uh, a big difference. But you're right, it was uh, more than just Kelly involved in those interceptions and the uh, and the turnovers. So. Uh, well, like I said, we'll uh, we'll we'll see what happens in the uh, in the August camp. Absolutely, which is approaching really soon. I'm actually releasing my Clemson preview later today, so that'll be interesting about the quarterback situation. Because I don't think a lot of people from the outside know how talented Trevor is, but how talented Kelly is as well. So it's going to be a really interesting situation that unfolds during August. I know I'm excited to see it, and I know now you kind of can play golf and watch it unfold from the outside. <laughs> that's, that's probably going to be pretty fun. I do have uh, one more thing before I let you go. Sure. Uh, Tim. Uh, you, would you talk on the Josh Delk situation and kind of what this, it confused me. I still don't understand to this day kind of what happened with that whole thing. I'm sorry. I, um, your phone blipped out of me. Repeat the question. Uh, the Josh Belk situation, just kind of how it unfolded and what happened with Josh Belk. And, you know, he transferred to South Carolina right. after being at Clemson. And I was just kind of wondering if, you know, Maybe you knew something, or is something interesting of what really happened? Because that still confuses me. Uh, no, I, I just know that um, when I talked to Dabo about it, and the uh, and the young man wanted to transfer, and I coach had the uh, feeling that um, uh, you know there was some personal situations with the, with the family and uh, some illness with either the mother or the father, and and also. Coach Sweeney sensed that that rule was going to change, that you could no longer um, block somebody from going to a school anyway. So why why go through the process of uh, um, you know trying to dictate where a young man could, could, could transfer to, which used to be the rule? Uh, so uh, you know, I just think it was as simple as um, as he uh, you know wanted to be closer to uh, to home. So that's what happened. Okay, I also think it's really interesting that. You know, a lot of coaches who block transfers, there are a lot of coaches in college football who do and wouldn't let you go to your rivals. But I think Dabo knew that that comes with negative press and all kinds of, like, negative feedback. Well, you know, Dabo's so confident in where I think we are in the program right now that I, I personally think he, he didn't care. He knew he was going to go to South Carolina. He was going to end up one way or another. And, you know, we got no negative press from it. We we let Josh Belt go to where he wanted to go, kind of where obviously where his heart was. So I thought that was pretty cool how – we got no negative feedback. We let a kid, a young kid, who maybe made a wrong decision, go where he wanted to go without any negatives. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah, you know, like I said, I think the, uh, the climate of the NCAA or pending NCAA uh, rule change coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but, I, but I, even if they hadn't changed it, I think Dabble still would let him go, especially when it's a you know family situation. Absolutely, he's such a good guy. Well, hey, Tim, I just want to thank you for your time today, man, and thank you for coming on and talking to me. Uh, I hope you enjoy this football season. I know you will, playing golf all the time. So thank you very much for coming on, man. Sounds good. Great to talk to you. Yeah, and make sure you guys check out Tim Bray's book, Basketball for Dummies. Read it. Check it out. Go follow Tim Bray on Twitter immediately. Thank you guys so much. Hey, seriously, Tim, thank you very much for coming on. Okay, you're welcome. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, man. Uh, Have a good rest of your day, brother. Have a great day.